following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Hey everyone, I'm Chris Horwardell and welcome to another episode of Tales from the Association. This week, my guest is Andy Panko. Andy spent a little time with the Atlanta Hawks in 2001. He was named MVP of the CBA in 2003, MVP of the Spanish Second Division in 2008, and MVP of the Spanish ACB League in 2012. He's still going strong playing internationally today. He also plays a part in shaping the next generation of basketball players with his training facility, Panko Performance, which is located about 10 miles outside of Hershey, Pennsylvania. I really enjoyed getting the chance to talk to Andy. He comes off as a smart, grounded guy, and we spent a lot of time talking about the olden days of basketball. So without any further ado, here is this week's episode of Tales from the Association with Andy Panko. Tales from the association, yeah, it's going down. This the podcast, yeah, you heard it all around. Players hit us with that career, cause you know that basketball, man, is not always there. Sometimes it come and go from the recruitment to the college phase, back to the NBA draft, yeah, that's not days. Playing internationally and at the life at a basketball, man, they're gonna tell us all how it go. See, story is how now, now you know. Tales from the association. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to a special edition of the Underdog Podcast. I'm Chris Horbordell, and my guest today is Division Three basketball star turned one-time Atlanta Hawk turned international nomad, Andy Panko. Andy, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. I'll be, it's, I'm looking forward to having a nice little chat with you today. Absolutely. So you came out of Bishop McDevitt in Pennsylvania. I was a Plymouth White Marsh guy, so shout out to a PA high school basketball. You ended up picking Lebanon Valley. What was uh, going through your head at that point? Were, was there a little bit of sort of frustration that you weren't getting more national recognition in terms of recruiting? Listen, n- not at all, Chris. Uh, a quick backstory: I didn't end up playing basketball in high school until my senior year. Okay. Obviously, I played. Uh, I played freshman ball. Obviously, when I was a sophomore and, and junior, I sat the bench on JV. Mm-hmm. So just by luck having you, know, a lot of the seniors graduated. I didn't end up playing until I was a senior in high school. So that's one of the reasons why I also went Division Three. You know, I w- didn't have much notoriety. I never played the AAU basketball. Mm-hmm. And then I played pretty well my senior year. And then a couple, you know, local area, small Division Three schools recruited me. That's why I went Division Three. Let me ask you about AAU basketball. It's sort of a polarizing topic. Do you think it's good <laughs> or bad? No. Uh, uh, let me stop you right there. Absolutely not. I am not a fan of AAU. Okay. I, never, I never played AAU. Now, granted, back in the day, this was 20-some, 25 years ago when mm-hmm. It was just in just in its infancy, but I think the AEU is not has nothing to do with 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 kids going to college or kids playing after college. I think it does more harm to the younger generation than than, than good. To be honest with you, is that because of skill development? I, well, that's one. Yeah, for me, in my in my opinion, that's one of the the, the biggest thing right there. Skill development. I believe that the summer is the time 
to use, you know, use skill development, work on your skills. Obviously, there's a time and a place to play five-on-five -five basketball, but okay, it doesn't have to be in AAU setting. It can be in a park. It can be in a gym. It can be pickup. But for me, AAU, I think it's just corrupting the younger generation right now. I always tell all my clients in, my, in, in the business that, that I'm in, mm. I always tell them, look, if you, if you can play basketball, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, come from the bench, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, big high school, small high school, they'll find you. If yeah. you can play, there's so many scouts out there in today's world, so much technology out there that, they, that we didn't have 20, 30 years ago, that they will find you. You do not need to play AAU basketball to go to a big-time Division One uh, school. And, and, and so what? If you don't go Division One, you can go Division Two and Division Three. You can still play basketball after college. Just because you don't go to Duke or UCLA, you can still play. Well, so I tell everybody. Uh, and sometimes you can go to one of those smaller schools and still wind up at a Duke. If you look at the case of the Curry brothers, sure. Steph goes to Davidson, Seth goes yep. to Liberty and ends up playing his last two or three years, I forget which, at Duke. You're right. The scouts are out there, and that is their job to it's find It's their talent. job to go find the talent. And believe it or not, and, I, and I've known, I, I know so many people just because I've been playing basketball for so long, a lot of scouts and GMs and coaches don't want that kid who's been, I don't want to say in the pipeline or in, in, in that, you know, growing up AAU because they're harder to teach. You know, AEU has a certain stigma, and they're you know they're they're all coached the same way. They all play pretty much play the same basketball. They're closed-minded. Mm -hmm. They want that kid who is kind of nobody's heard of, who hasn't been in the system, so to say, the system where they can bring this kid in. He's pretty raw. Yes, he has talent, but we can coach him. We can teach him. And I just think AEU, you know, is out there, and I don't think they do a lot a good job of coaching the kids. And I think a lot of kids now, especially American kids, are losing the uh, the fundamentals of basketball. You know, the skill work. The passing, the shooting, the dribbling—you know, now all they all they see on TV is is the NBA, where you know it's either a three pointer or it's a dunk. That's it. You know, it's pretty sad, in my opinion. Right. We, uh, in terms of this upcoming senior class in high school, one of the top players is this kid Zion Williamson, who is uh, an absolute just just internet marvel, and mm -hmm. he is kind of the embodiment of what I think is wrong with AAU basketball. Because if you mm -hmm. watch the highlights. Man, mm -hmm. it's spectacular. He can mm -hmm. jump. The dunks mm -hmm. are incredible. But he can't dribble the ball. He sure. can't yeah. shoot the ball. And so yeah. he's a six foot six, six foot seven yeah. power forward at the next level. And, and look, well, boy, six six power forward is kind of small to exactly. be power forward. He's that's what probably, I'm saying. Yeah, he, yeah, exactly. No, no, you're right. I mean, that's why it's such a. I mean, look, I understand now looking back. Kids, especially younger kids, I'm talking about younger generation kids in elementary and high mm -hmm. school. These kids now look 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 like like look like they're grown men. You know, they're big, they're muscles, they're athletes. It's a incredible lot difference. Yeah, it's amazing. I don't know if, if it's the food that we're eating these days or just people are evolving and you're becoming bigger and faster uh, in, in in every sport, not just basketball. But like you said right there, anybody can make a highlight film and you look spectacular in a highlight film. But when you put some athletes, especially I'm talking American athletes now. Um, in a five-on-five -five atmosphere where you have to make them think, you know, you have to make mm -hmm. them make the correct pass, make them make a couple, two dribble pull-up jump shot. Um, I think that we struggle. We struggle. And there's nothing, no better way that you don't see that in international competitions. Sure, the last couple of years, you know, America um, w w has been winning the world championships in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. But let's not forget that not, not, too, not, not too long ago, if we don't bring our superstars from the NBA, if we don't bring the top guys who know how to play, we won't win. We, we will lose just because the international basketball has gotten so, so much better in the fundamentals of basketball that when we play international rules, we struggle. 
sure, we're still winning because we have the best athletes in the world. And like I said, we bring our, our superstars. But if we don't bring our superstars and we just bring regular, normal NBA guys, we will lose to some of the better top European countries in, in international basketball. Well, even when we do bring our superstars, look at that Allen Iverson-Lamar yeah. Odom team. I think that yeah. was a silver medal team. Well, look, I mean... Maybe a bronze. I mean, you, you, listen, you brought up Lamar Odom. I was in Spain. Listen, it's a funny story. Mm-hmm. You brought up Lamar. I was in Spain when, they, when uh, the Spanish team, Basconia, um, signed him. So we play in the same division. I think Lamar lasted maybe a month or a couple games, and he averaged two points a game in the Spanish league that we were playing in, yeah. just because of those reasons. Obviously, this was after all his problems off the court. But still, the, the international game is a lot different. Just because you're an NBA superstar or you come from the NBA with all those years, it doesn't corroborate with how you're going to play over in Europe. Because in Europe, it's a thinking man's game. You need the fundamentals to play. Yeah, absolutely. And what is going on with kids? You're absolutely right. I coach youth basketball. Well, I, I moved to California, and this is the last year I haven't coached for the first time in you know 15 years. But I coached okay. youth basketball starting basically as soon as I couldn't play youth basketball anymore when I was 17, 18. And I remember the first time I had a 14-year-old kid dunk during a game. And this is <laughs> – what is going on? It's crazy. Uh, listen, I've, I've seen some freak athletes too in my, in my, um, in my, in my gym where I, where I do training athletes. Yeah, these kids are crazy. I mean, you can give them some uh, that kind of skill level where you ask them to see how you can jump or the vert test and everything, and these guys test off the charts. But when you ask them to make a uh, dribble down, down and back with your left hand, you know, they struggle. They'll dribble it off their leg. And I think it's just a function of how, like you said, going back to how when they were raised and how they were brought up, not too many, I don't want to say coaches, I don't want to lump, lump all coaches in the same category Mm -hmm. but whoever's teaching these kids whether it's the you know the volunteers the coaches other trainers they're just not doing a good job of training these kids in the fundamentals we're losing that aspect obviously when i was growing up you know we were watching larry bird and magic johnson old-time basketball and that was pure basketball that was the fundamentals of basketball fast break no dribbling shooting passing defense that was true basketball i just think we've gotten away from you know the, the history of basketball and i think a lot of kids need to work to do better work on the fundamentals and that starts in the summer you can't do that during the school year because the, the kids these days play 10 different sports yeah you know, it's constantly they're doing something it's ridiculous and you're exactly right i remember the glory days of as mm-hmm. when i was very very young there's a nba on nbc triple headers sure. you watch jordan's yeah. bulls and reggie and the yep. and the pacers Detroit and pistons the, the bad pistons boys and yeah. magic and the lakers oh my god and that, that was that, basketball back then that was basketball unfortunately with with the internet and all the kids even my son too watching these days and playing xbox mm-hmm. you know unfortunately our our society here in america is that way it's just a matter you know it's just everybody wants to jump higher dunk and shoot three-pointers i mean it's a sad truth but that's reality these days Right. What do you think of the way basketball is going with sort of the uh, the five out offense? Okay. Look. Uh, look. That's kind of how we play over in Europe too. And mm-hmm. We don't play five out. We play a lot of the, the top clubs in Europe. They play four out and one in. Obviously, that big. The days are over when um, you, you have those. You know, the seven footers, the seven one, seven two guys. Whether you just post up, throw the ball in the post, and post up. Those yeah. days are long gone, Chris. To be honest with you. Nowadays, everybody wants. Um, a four-man who can open the court, you know, a four-man to shoot to three, and they want a big guy who's more mobile, who's more athletic, who can come up and set a pick-and-roll, roll roll to the basket. 
Um, that's high-level basketball right there. It's when you can set a screen, roll to the basket, throw the ball for a dunk, and then you just spot up around the court. Ball movement is, is more of a priority in Europe. Well, when I say Europe, I'm talking internationally-wise, yeah. okay? Um, and then I guess, I mean, watching some of the NBA games, uh, they've taken a hint at that where now, now they want that four-man who can open the court so there's more space to penetrate. And obviously there's a lot more space in the NBA because there's no, there's no, there's no defense. There's no help defense. <laughs> yeah. You can't do that. You can't just sit in a lane like you do in, over in Europe or it would be illegal defense. So. I understand the benefits of that, and the spacing is great, and you know everybody wants to score the basketball. But I sure. miss, I miss that. I, I miss, Me too. We're never going to see Hakeem and Patrick and nope. David Robinson and Shaq. Nope. What is Shaq in a modern day NBA? Ah, oh, man, that's a great question. I don't. Well, look, Shaq obviously could play in a, anywhere. He's sure. just so big, and he's just a man. He's huge. He's just a big guy. But I think you saw a glimpse of what it would be like towards the end of Shaq's career playing days. I mean, when he was bouncing around from after he left the Lakers, I forget where he went. He went the to the Miami Heat. Boston he went somewhere and else. Yeah, you really didn't hear too much about him because the game has changed so much. You know, Shaq's game is not a pick and roll game. Shaq's no. game is come down post up on the box or under the basket, catch a ball and dunk it. Those games, those days are long gone, Chris. And I think it just showed towards the end of Shaq's career that he just couldn't keep up with the young, the young breed of, of talent that was, that's came up through the ranks. That's all. Right. I think we're kind of seeing that with Dwight Howard now too. It's mm-hmm. the same kind of thing. Oh my gosh. I, I use Dwight Howard a lot uh, as, as a, <laughs> as an example. I mean, here's this guy whose body looks incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, 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 you know, he's, dunk contest but yet he's getting paid all this money and he can't make a free throw i mean he's airballing free throws and it just goes by the the way of you know he's he's huge he can catch dunks Mm -hmm. but he has no offensive skill on the box that's why the last couple years you've never heard about him you know you don't you don't hear him sure a lot of people want to be dwight howard because he looks good and you know the superman cape and everything that's all great and everything but as, as a fundamentals big guy i don't think that i would use him as an example to teach young guys on, on how to be who would you use an exa- as an example? I believe it or not, Chris, I use a bunch of guys. Well, I use a bunch of guys um, from overseas who, who who I try to tell my kids to YouTube, or I, I bring back the olden days. You know, the Magic's when he posting up the Larrys, the sure. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, the Hakeem Olajuwon's, ones, Patrick Hewing. I mean, here's here's Patrick Hewing, Hewing for an example, who's seven one, seven two, and he, I remember he would do fadeaway jump shots from mm-hmm. the baseline, and you just couldn't you couldn't block that. You know, nowadays seven ones just body, body, bang, bang, and dunk. They don't do any finesse moves. So I try to, when I teach my athletes, I do, sure, there is a time and a place to do power basketball. You have to do power basketball, but there's also a time and place to do maybe a baby jump hook with the left hand or maybe two dribbles to the middle, spin move, uh, follow a jump shot like Hakeem Olajuwon. And these are the type of kind of athletes who I try to to make examples of. It kind of bothers me that this generation doesn't have the same sort of respect that I Mm -mm. I think that maybe – my my generation, your generation mm-hmm. did for the older players because Mm-mm. they they have no idea how good no. the Patricks no, and the no. Davis were. And no. and more than anything else, they everyone the kids know Larry Bird was good, but they don't understand nope. how great he well, was. Well listen, I mean like 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 you said, it's a genera- I believe honestly it's a generational thing. I mean, believe it or not, even the kids over in Europe, the younger generation coming over, um coming up in the ranks and playing basketball, it's because now all they see on T V and believe it or not, you know, the, the Xbox, the PlayStation, that has something to do with it, too. Mm-hmm. That's all. These kids, these generation kids are all on the Internet, YouTube, 
uh, uh, internet, Xbox, they're all playing. And what do they see? They don't see what we, what we saw, the Larrys and the Magics. I mean, they're hardly on TV unless you watch ESPN 30 for 30. You know, you're not going to see that. All you're going to see is commercials with, you know, Dwight Howard's, LeBron's, Duncan, three-pointers, how big they look. Mm-hmm. These kids in high school, these McDonald's All-Americans who look, you know, they don't go to college anymore. They go right to the NBA. And then, unfortunately, the kids get, you know, programmed, and they say, wow, I mean, if this person can do it, I should do the same thing. So right. it's, it's just a lost art, like you said, Chris. It's pretty, it's pretty sad. Well, let's get back to you and stop talking about how basketball is deteriorating in this culture. have a a little bit more fun of talk Uh, so after four great years in college your time's over there what's going on in your mind in this uh, in your mind at this point and are you working out for teams what's going on prior to the draft (laughs) wait wait, what do you mean prior to the draft i'm I'm not sure prior to you the 1999 nba draft to which you you were technically eligible sure yeah I'm, are you, you want me to talk about what, what oh, led yeah. me to the draft? Is yeah, that what, you're trying? what are you doing oh. in preparation of the draft? Oh, God, good question. Well, look, I mean, man, okay, Chris, this will oh, – God, I could go on forever. Well, Do this it. Is a long story short, well, look, I mean, obviously coming from a Division three Division three school, you know, this school was for 800 people. Yeah. Looking back now 20, 20 years ago, I probably wasn't ready to make the NBA jump. I wasn't mature enough. You know, the biggest place I played in was 5,000 people, my home sure. gym in, in Lebanon Valley. So obviously when I went there to the Lakers summer camp – um, uh, well, let me back up. Obviously, I went to a couple um, um, individual workouts to see if I would be drafted. I think I went to New York. I went to Boston, the Sixers being a hometown kid, and then I went to New Jersey. So when you go through all of those workouts, it's basically I was there by myself. So it was only one-on-one. Mm. So I was on the court with the assistant coach, and then you have lined up on the sideline the owner, the GM, the coach, the scout, everybody. It's pretty much, you know, looking back, I was pretty – I was pissing my pants. I don't mean to swear, but I was, you know, you're, you're scared because this white, white kid coming out of a small college. I didn't know what to expect. Obviously I went to, um, I did well enough, not drafted. I did well enough though, playing college at Jerry West, who was the general manager of the Lakers at the time being a West Virginia kid. He knew my name. He knew I played pretty well in college and he just offered me a spot in the summer league with the Lakers. And uh, you know, the rest is just history. I played well with the Lakers, signed a Lakers contract offer for vet camp, and I was the last cut uh, for the Lakers my rookie year out of college. That's how it went. Does that? Do you look at that as a positive experience, or is that something that kind of drives you crazy? Like, what would have happened both. if? Both. Yeah, look, both. I mean, I try not to get too crazy about thinking of the past because it's not going to do me any good right sure. now. But obviously, you know, looking back, I mean, back when I first came out of college, they also drafted, I don't know if you remember the name, Devin George. Yeah, I mean, this is this, yeah. This guy was a Division three player, right? Yeah. So he came from Augsburg, and it's funny. I was the player of the year my senior year in college in Division three, and I think Devin was maybe first team All American. But yet the Lakers drafted him, and obviously coming out, I'm thinking, okay, you know, obviously I'm I have a kind of a chip on my shoulder. Mm. But looking back now, it was a hell of an experience. You know, I have I have pictures, I have memorabilia from when I was there. You know, my son. Oh, we we talk about it constantly with my son, who's who's growing up now and it's something to look back on and be pretty, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty proud. I, I can live with myself of, of how, how it went down back in the day. Yeah. And if you're not going to make a team, you know, that's an, that's an okay team to not make when you have the, <laughs> the Kobe Bryant's and the Derek well, Fisher's Rick listen, Fox. I had, listen, I mean, I was there. I mean, hell yeah. To talk about a great story around a fire. I mean, listen, that was Phil's first year. It was Phil. It was John Sally, mm. Rick Fox, Kobe, Shaq, 
who Benoit Benjamin, Tex Winter. It was all the time. It was the first time when they ran the, the triangle offense there. And I, and I can say that I was a part of that first team with Phil Jackson and everything. It was amazing. I mean, look, it was, it was fantastic. I have stories out the wazoo. I can tell my kids and all my friends. They still, even to this day, ask me how it was. But I wouldn't change anything for it, to be honest with you, Chris, because if I never, you know, obviously everything, I believe everything is meant for a reason. And I went there. It didn't work out. You know, I ended up going in the minors uh, in Albuquerque for three years, paying my dues. Mm -hmm. Then I went overseas, and I had a pretty, you know, pretty long career. I'm still playing to this day um, overseas, which is pretty cool. I want to get back to this Lakers thing for just a second. Mm -hmm. Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal, two very, very, you know, polarizing people. Everyone loves Mm -hmm. Shaq. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of a perception that Kobe is difficult. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've been around Kobe a little bit. He was at Lower mm-hmm. Marion. I didn't mm-hmm. love him. What <laughs> What was your take about away from this guy? Okay, guys? I mean, look, I, I can't speak. I don't know. I don't know Kobe well. Mm-hmm. I just know him for my two years when I was there. You know, um, obviously he he's one of those guys when. I was a rookie, you know, he, he was young at the same time. Yeah. I thought we had something in common being from Pennsylvania and everything. And I, I talked to him a little bit, but I'm not going to say I was here. I was best friends with him. And I went out with him. Kobe didn't really open up to too many teammates when I was there. Um, he was very serious on the court, kind of what you see, how you see him, how he would play and, you know, how he would give interviews. He was very serious, mm-hmm. especially back then. Didn't say much to anybody else. Uh, practiced hard. You know, a hell of a player, a hell of a professional. Shaq, on the other hand, was just a big kid. You know, mm-hmm. I remember on the planes, um, he would give us rookies, you know, me, Devin George, John Celestine, and a couple other free agent rookies. He would just give us some cash on the planes, you know, just because he <laughs> knew that we didn't, you know, we didn't have any, have any money at the time. And uh, he was just a big kid. He was uh, pretty much the... The, the the best guy, he's just a guy you see on TV where he's always joking. You know, he's he's just one of those guys who always loves to have fun. Kobe, on the other hand, is on the opposite spectrum, but still a good guy, a good pro. Obviously, he's had a hell of a career in the NBA, and he's going to go down as probably one of the top fifty best players in the history of the NBA, no doubt. No yeah, doubt. I think he's a, I think he's a lot higher than that. That that's an unbelievable roster. Robert Ory was there. Yes, Robert was there. Brian Shaw was there. Glenn Rice was there. That's an, Ron Harper that's an incredible was Ron Harper. Don't forget Ron Harper. Ron Harper is a too. great basketball player. That's another guy yeah. nobody talks about anymore. Yeah. So no, it was a, it was look looking back, it's great to to, to remember the glory days back in mm-hmm. the, you know twenty some years ago. But looking back, it was a hell of an experience, and it definitely has shaped me. And I still take some tidbits of what I learned back in the day with the offense and just being around guys like that, that caliber who mm-hmm. know so much about basketball. Mm-hmm. Chris, it's just uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I think the craziest thing about this roster is there's three future NBA head coaches on this roster. Who was it? Shaw? Derek Shaw, Brian Fisher, and Tyron Lue. That's right. Derek Fisher. Yeah, I forgot <laughs> to name those two. Derek was there. Ty- oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, see, I, I, I forget all those kids, all those people who were there, you know, oh, back in the day. But uh, yeah, it was great. Like, I tell people, people ask me, what was, what was, what was practice like? What was uh, preseason like? And I, I tell everybody, that was the easiest preseason that I've ever had. I mean, you have to remember, it was with Shaq and Phil and these guys. Yeah. You know, what are you going to do? Make Shaq do a suicide in 30 seconds? Right. Make these guys do 17s? Come on, these guys, are, these guys are the best of the best, the cream of the crop. I mean, practice preseason was so easy, Chris, that it was uh, – I, I, some, some practices we didn't even sweat. We'd have to come early, the rookies, <laughs> and just play one-on-one full court just to sweat. You know, that's how easy it was. So. Okay, we can't get away from the Lakers before we talk about Phil Jackson. What was it like okay. playing for Phil? 
Amazing. Uh, didn't didn't have too much conversation with him being a rookie and everything. You know, the rookies are treated yeah. uh, we're, we're the low end of the totem pole, but very um, very zen like. Very he always he would always make uh, uh, analogies about religion and, and and very just very philosophical. Very a thinking man's coach. Didn't too Phil believe it or not. Nobody knows this unless you played for him. Phil didn't hardly ran the practice. You know mm-hmm. who ran the practice was Jim Clemens, the assistant coach, and Tex Winters, who was the the, founder, the so-called founder of the triangle offense. So they, those guys ran pretty much practice. Phil would just sit on his medicine ball on the sideline and kind of just watch everything and bounce around. And when he would see something he didn't like, he, when he would speak up, never raised his voice, never got mad at you for doing something. He would just kind of talk to you as a normal player. Um, and Because you got to remember, Phil played basketball too. So mm. he was also a player. So he kind of knew how to handle other players, especially at that caliber. But very, very philosophical, very, very much a thinking man's coach and Phil was great he was great all right so after the draft undrafted to the Lakers you end up playing with the New Mexico slam of the IBL IBL, international basketball how did that come about it just came about because I wanted to try to pay my dues and make the NBA Mm -hmm. obviously when you're the last cut of the Lakers back then you know I hear from my agent okay you just go into minor leagues and maybe you'll get a 10-day call up or maybe they'll call you up they like you you know they always like you. That, yeah. that's, that's, I've heard that a million times. They like you, but we don't have enough uh, spots on the roster for you. So anyway, I went to the IBL for a couple of years, tried to make the NBA. You know, I, I got a sniff of the NBA. I called up to the, to the Atlanta Hawks mm-hmm. for one 10-day call-up. And then after that, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I, I met, met my future wife at the time, had to start making some money, and I knew at age 25, 26, my career was shortening to make the NBA. Sure. So I packed my bags and we headed overseas. That's how that went down. All right, the Atlanta Hawks, one game. You did get in. You one are, game you are in record. Warriors. You yeah. are on record in the NBA, yeah. and so you have that. Nobody can ever take that away from you. Nope. And you, you played with one Dikembe Mutombo. I played with Dikembe Mutombo, Dion Glover, uh, Chris Crawford, Matt Maloney. Our coach was Lon Kruger at the time, the former, I think, Illinois coach in college, yeah. I want to say. So, yeah, I, was, I got, I think it was maybe 58, 59 seconds, 49 seconds against the Cleveland Cavaliers. I remember somebody, I don't know who was shooting the free throw, but I looked across mm. from the free throw line, and there was Chris Mullen. It was, it was, oh. it was so cool. Adano Foyle was there, and there's, uh, Chris Mullen was there. So that was pretty cool. That's what I remember, believe was it or that, not. You, so you played the Warriors. Was that I the, think it was the Warriors. Was that the run TMC teams? or No, Tim Hardaway wasn't there, and I don't think, you know what, I, Chris, to be honest with you, my recollection is not that great. Maybe mm-hmm. Mitch Richmond was there, maybe, but I just remember Chris Mullen. I don't know at the end of that year, those guys kind of split up, and Timmy went somewhere else. Then he went to the Miami Heat or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I like to forget that happened. Yeah, it's been a long. Hey, it's been a long time, <laughs> but it was pretty cool to see Chris Mullen there across the free throw line. It was pretty cool. I think I touched the ball one time, and I gave it up as fast as I touched it. So, <laughs> does, does that bother you? Do you wish you would uh, you no, put that no. shot up? No, no. Look, I, I look. I, I was fortunate enough to get a 10-day call-up. It was great, you yeah. know, but, okay, wait, wait, wait. maybe at the time, looking back, it bothered me, but, I, you know, nowadays I have, <laughs> Chris, I have two kids. There's more things I'm worried about on my plate that, than trying to make the NBA. You Ab- know what I mean? Absolutely. Okay, really. so that Golden State team was uh, Antoine Jamison, Larry Hughes, Mookie, yeah. Chris Mullen, Bob Sora, yep. Fortson. 
Yeah, that's a good. That's a solid team. Antoine yeah, Jameson hey, is another some, great. Hell yeah! I mean, listen, there are some back in the end. He was a four later on in his career, three four. But back in the day, man, just think of those these names that now the younger generation will never remember playing against. I mean, these guys could play. They were active. They weren't big and huge like today's athletes are. But these guys knew basketball. You know, all these guys are just. Oh, it's amazing. I can't. I wish my son was 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 old enough or could remember some of these guys. I mean, because they could they could really play. Like you said, run TMC. I mean, remember those guys? They would between those three, they would score ninety points just between those three. It was amazing. Oh yeah, that's that was where I grew up in basketball. I you know, I, when you're a kid, you don't really understand geography. You just understand right. like these are the cool teams close to me. So sure. while, while I was. Uh, born in Sacramento, it was the Golden State Warriors and that right. Mitch Richmond. And Tim, oh, I loved Tim Hardaway. God, I loved mm-hmm. Tim Hardaway. And uh, that, that was that was my first love. And before I would move on and be- sacrifice a, a lifetime of heartbreak and of, as a Philadelphia hey, 76ers We fan. all did it. Trust me, we all did it. I mean, whether it's in sports or some other, you always sacrifice something that you get away from or you get back to. But it, those are the olden days that I remember. I mean, they're good stories to tell. I agree What's, with you, Chris. What was being in a locker room with Takembe like, even for a short ah, Great guy. Great dude. Very smart. I think he speaks something like 10 languages. Yeah. But I remember him in practice because the, the practice facility was right attached to the main court. It was beautiful. Um, uh, I remember he would always practice in sweatpants. And I remember, I think I asked him that. I didn't know if I was allowed to talk to him or not. But then he he told me, he's like, look, I just remember back in the day when I was in Africa, that's all we had was just sweatpants. We didn't have any shorts. We didn't have back then when he would play on, the, on their dirt basketball court. But very smart, very humble guy, just a smart, intelligent guy. Long arms, good guy. Uh, not, I wouldn't say he's very skilled, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. He wasn't very skilled. He was just so long and could block shots that back in the day when he was playing, there weren't too many many guys like him who was they they didn't really have that the, the and when I say Africans, I'm just you know I'm just speaking yeah, that that, yeah. that guy from Africa who people knew oh wow Africans can play too it would be the the Kembe Mutombo of today that's that's where he's kind of you know he's like the first African who played in the NBA but had a hell of a career in the NBA so okay. good guy that's what I remember about him. Interesting. And be- you know what, Chris? Also, now that's thinking about him right now, he always had this beautiful smile on his face. He was this big mm. guy, beautiful white teeth, but he had this great <laughs> smile, always laughing, but that deep voice. Yeah. That he, he was this tall, skinny guy, but when he would speak, when he would speak, when he would laugh, it was just coming from inside his soul. And I just rem- I remember that about Dikembe. Good guy. Great guy. Well, there's, a, there's another player on this team who oh, – well, let's – I'm going to ask you about him when you and I stop recording because okay. I, I have very specific questions about something I may be getting myself into. So, okay, we're going to come back to that. All okay, right. okay. All right. So the golden uh, the the Hawks' time is over. You need yeah. to, you need to feed your family, and yeah. uh, that's certainly understandable. Well, look, I mean, talking about that, I mean, yeah, look, if I was playing the NBA, I mean, it was, it was great. When I got that 10-day paycheck, it was, it was great. It was more money I've ever, I've ever seen in my life back sure. then. But living in the, uh, in the IBL, I mean, you got to remember, I was making, uh, God, $200 a week, Ooh. you know, $200 a week living in a hotel. Um, you know, that's not going to feed, that would be hard to feed a family, especially growing, you know, I wanted to marry my wife. I was looking for rings at the time and unfortunately I just couldn't do it. But obviously when you talk to agents and everything, they can always try to push you to go overseas because they get more, you know, they get 10% of your contract overseas. Mm-hmm. Back in the day when I was in the, you know, trying to make the, the NBA it was, I think it was 4% was the agent fee. So that's a big difference, you know, 10% yeah. or 4%. So that's why another reason why I headed overseas, Chris. 
All right, so for most NBA fans, this is where, for a player like you, the story is just kind of over for us. But for you, mm -hmm. it's really just the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, this is when your real career starts in international mm -hmm. basketball. I believe uh, your first team mm -hmm. over there was Basket Napoli in Italy. Yep, uh, Basket how, Napoli in Italy. And, and, yeah, in how, Italy. Did, yep. how did you get hooked up with them? Is that just uh, your agents calling people, or do they yeah, try to trust Yeah, look, I mean uh, – the summers, uh, if you're not playing, if you if you're not under contract and mm -hmm. you're still trying to make the NBA, you go to something that's called the summer league, NBA summer league. Back then, it was held in three different cities. I think it was it was Boston, Utah, uh, Chicago, maybe in Florida. I'm not I'm, I'm not sure. But anyway, I was with the Chicago Bulls for summer mm -hmm. league. Uh, played I don't know I don't remember where we played L A or something or Utah, and then I played pretty well in the summer league to. To, to get a contract offer from this team in, in, in Italy. And I also think I had an agent at the time who was in cahoots with uh, the, he was best friends with the GM of this team. Mm -hmm. So he gave me, it was a great, it was a great offer. It was a great contract, uh, something I couldn't turn down a lot more money than I was making here. And then I knew, you know, I had to think about it. I was engaged. Just, yeah, I was engaged at the time and we went overseas and we said, what the hell let's go for it. Let's, you know, we, we Googled like everybody did back then or AOL, whatever it was back then. Mm -hmm. Um, Napoli, you know, Naples in Italy. It looked beautiful, two hours from Rome. So we packed our bags and headed overseas, and then we've been, ever, been there ever since. I think that's interesting because you talk about playing with the Bulls in that summer league. Mm -hmm. And what, what's really going on that the casual NBA fan doesn't realize is that these guys are playing for their lives oh, yeah. overseas more yes. so than in the NBA. That's, that's a good question. I mean, for people who don't know too much about the sporting world, especially basketball-wise, it's just because you go – some guys just go to the summer league not to make the NBA, but like you said – there's scouts from all over the world, and I don't mean just Europe. I'm talking about South America, mm -hmm. Asia, that come to these summer leagues and try to find players to bring them over. Sure, it's a long shot, Chris, to, 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 to make the NBA from the summer league. The summer league is really for the guys who were drafted by those teams. And then they kind of fill in the roster spots for guys like myself and other kids who want to play overseas. And that's basically how I got, I got noticed overseas. I think it was my, maybe my last... Well, no, because I went overseas to Naples, then came back to the States, then played one more year in the summer league with the Knicks. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I stopped playing the NBA summer league just because I was too old and I knew my career was in Europe. So, yeah. With those summer leagues, is it sort of a delicate balance for you guys who are you're looking to make a name for yourself? So you kind of want to make splash plays, but at the same time, you have to play it within is. the confines of a team. It is. And, and honestly, looking back, I was maybe... I was a terrible NBA summer league player uh, <laughs> team. I was horrible. Chris, listen. I now I didn't I didn't realize it now, but looking back, I equate the NBA summer league to kind of how AEU is mm. at a higher level because all it is it's every man for themselves out there in the NBA summer league. Sure, they the coaches try to you know put some plays in, but you got to think. I mean, these are twelve or. Some, some, some teams carry 18 guys from yeah. all over the United States, try to put them together in two weeks to play summer league games. Right. And, and, and those guys all are fighting for a, a job somewhere, whether it's the NBA, Europe, Mexico, South America. So what do you think all those guys are going to do? They're not playing for a team. They're playing mm -hmm. for themselves. And I was never that kind of guy who was that selfish guy who would took, take the ball, come down, a couple dribbles between my legs, and go one on five. Mm -hmm. I was not that guy, nor am I that guy ever in my career. So when I, when I look, looking back, when I was playing in those summer leagues, 
I mean, shit, I, I can't imagine. I, I can't believe I, I, I got a job uh, out of uh, playing with the Bulls to play over in Europe. I just well, got man. lucky. You know, right place, right time. I got lucky. I played a lot. I played actually with good guys with the Bulls. A.G. Guyton was on my team, obviously an Indiana guy. He knew basketball. It was a shortened roster. Uh, the coach was the guy from Iowa State. I forget his name. He's not in the league anymore. Is that Tim but anyway, Yeah, that's it. It was him. Um, I played a lot, uh, played well, and then I, I got that contract offer playing with them. So who knows? Maybe that's what set you apart and get, you know, sort of opened people's eyes to you. Some scouts watching a summer league game, and there's like, holy shit! Did you see Panko pass twice on that play? Oh no, no, no doubt. Listen, <laughs> I was that kid on a fast break. If it was a two on zero fast break after a steal, I was that guy who gave the ball up to somebody else. That's how you're so supposed they to could play. enjoy that moment. Well, no, that's exactly right. But that's why, Chris, that you just said right there. I think that's what because overseas, that's what it's it's, it's team oriented. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a family. It's not individual. Sure, they might you might bring a guy over there but he'll get a sniff of Europe he'll play one year and guess what that's the guy who plays on 15 different teams in 10 years do you know what I mean where he's yeah. been cut in the middle of the year he's mm-hmm. signing one-year contracts non-guarantee contracts there's some teams that like that guy but in, in essence overall that's why I was able to stick around so long just because I was that guy who knew basketball the fundamentals I was that kid who who made the right play at the right time who wasn't you know a ball hog who wasn't a showtime kind of player that's exactly what you said. So maybe, looking back, maybe that's why I got those good jobs coming well, from the NBA Summer League. It drives me nuts watching the NBA when you see, like you said, a 2-1-0 fast break, point guard, yeah. point guard and big, right. and the, po- the point guard just goes in for the dunk. And your the job, yeah. your job is to get that guy the ball. Just Absolutely. get him past the ball. You respect the big guy because, first of all, he's a big and he's running the court. You know how hard it is for a big guy to move his body down the court. I agree with you. And, and that's some, I mean, even to this day, I will teach the guys I play with, I mean, just some little lessons like that. Like, listen, if you have a big running with you, it's a 2 0, give the big, you know, give him, give him some easy points. Your job as a point guard is when you're wide open, you shoot the ball to make it. Mm-hmm. But if not, you're the facilitator to make everybody else better. I want to see you have more assists than points or more yeah. shot attempts. You know what I mean? But now in NBA, it's totally different. They want point guard scores, and yeah, it's just a, it's just a cycle. Well, I, I feel like we're moving to a, a place in the NBA where it's just give your best player the ball and let them yeah, figure it kind out. Kind of. It's kind of give them the best, give the best player the ball and figure it out, even if it's one on five. Or I, I don't remember. I mean, obviously, don't get me wrong. These guys are amazing athletes yeah, in the of NBA, course. and they're amazing. God, it's just night and day, but. I'm, when I'm overseas, and you know, I don't watch any NBA basketball when I'm overseas, just because we don't, I don't have time. Mm-hmm. Um, people, the guys, the younger guys, would talk about it, and they're like, "Yeah, Mike, uh, Westbrook shot 45 or 50 times in a game," uh. and, 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 and I'm thinking to myself, I mean, we as a team in Europe don't shoot that many times. <laughs> You know what I mean? And this yeah. is one guy. But I get it. You know, I, I get it. NBA is entertainment. It's big money. It's sponsors. I understand. I'm not mad. I get it. I just wish that um, we would kind of get back to the fundamentals of the game a little more. That's one of the things I love about Curry and also Kevin Durant, too. I mean, here's Kevin Durant. I was just using him as an example. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a 6'11 guy, six, whatever, however, 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", 6'11", whatever. But this guy can do everything. He can shoot. He can dribble. He can do a fadeaway. He can play defense. Defense. He can pass with his right hand, left hand. This is a knowledgeable guy. This guy has talent. That's why you see him when he plays international competition. And a couple of other guys play Thompson's, Curry's. These guys can play. These guys can play in Europe. And I've been around so long in Europe where I've seen NBA players 
uh, Chris, come over to Europe, okay? Mm-hmm. Big-time NBA players come over to Europe on teams, and they pay them good money, but yet they last maybe a month. They last maybe two months just because you, they, they can't. Uh, they, they can't just uh, fit into the, to the, the European lifestyle or the basketball, international basketball overseas. They just can't assimilate very good, and then they're out of there. So. Yeah. You mentioned Kevin Durant, and that guy yeah. is just – that is a freak of nature human yeah. being. Because of pure quirk of circumstance rather than any actual skill on my part and, uh, some, and some people I'm friends with, Kevin's uh, rookie year when he was in Seattle, going into that mm-hmm. rookie year – I ended up in a pickup game at UCLA with Kevin Durant, Paul Pierce, okay. and a couple of other people. Okay. And Kevin Durant is the most unreal, talented person I have. Yeah. He should. You should not be able to do that. You're right. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's, exactly. he's a legit 6'11", and I don't yeah. know that he missed all day. Yeah, that's the thing. And, and, and he does – you know, it's not just – it's just finesse. It's, just, it's so smooth and so easy. And his, it, he can just do – he can do everything. You know, he's, he can do everything. I mean, if you're 6'11 now, what they'll do is they'll just put you in the post and they'll make you a big. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's what they do in today's basketball. But no, Kevin, he can do everything. He handles the ball like a guard, you know, post up, fade away. You know, he can just do everything. Shoot to three from long range. He's, and he's a good guy. I like his demeanor. He speaks mm-hmm. well in interviews. A good role model to have. You know, he's just a good, a, a good guy. I don't know Kevin, but I like to, you know, when I see him on TV, when I watch the games, he's quiet, doesn't show too much uh, excitement, uh, just does his job, uh, a pro. You know what I mean? So. Well, and that's why people bizarrely feel the need to lie about their heights in some instances. Like, you know, Kevin is six foot eleven, but it, mm-hmm. at six foot eleven you have to be a power forward. So he's six right. foot nine officially. Right. And Kevin Garnett right. was the big example of this. The, the joke was Kevin was six thirteen when <laughs> when you know he was listed at six eleven because he never wanted yeah. to be a center. Yeah, right. No, Kevin could play too. I remember Kevin Garnett. Uh, yeah, he could, he could play. He's one of those other guys too, where uh, just just a talent. You know, a big talent. I mean, this guy wasn't huge in in by any standards of today's athletes, but he was lanky, uh, like sinewy. But he could pass. He could shoot jump shots. He could do fadeaways, left hand, right hand, and he always played. Like that's what I liked about him. He always played. You always when you'd watch the Timberwolves. I mean, he was always playing. He mm-hmm. was always there playing, which which is where I liked about him. Always played. So. All right, so 2000 to 11, uh, 2001 to now, you're playing with numerous different teams in different leagues on different yeah. continents. Bouncing around, sure, trying to find my way. I was bouncing around, didn't know what to expect. Yeah. What's it like for a guy trying to uh, make a living playing international basketball? Okay, look, uh, looking back, it, back then I didn't really – we always – my wife and I, we kind of just – you know, I don't know what the saying is. We just packed up and we would just get on a plane and we would just go. Sure. We just kind of did what my agent was telling telling us to do. You know, we didn't know any better. Obviously, you're so naive at age 23, 24, 25, you don't know too much is yeah. out there. Um, but okay, I, I didn't think anything of it at the time. I thought I was living the dream, playing playing basketball and getting paid for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, until when, when I came home and in, in, I, I left I left Italy and came home to the CBA. Because I, you know, I wasn't there anymore. I was in the CBA playing for Dave Yeager. And I know you know that oh, name. Okay. He was, he was an NBA coach. Yeah, he was a coach, coach for the Grizzlies. Yeah. He's the Kings coach we, right now. Who, who's he coaching now? He's the Kings coach right now. Is he really? The head yep. coach? 
Yes, sir. Wow, good for him. Um, I haven't talked to Dave in a while. So anyway, yeah, I mean, then I went to the CBA, played played well enough there to get back overseas. And then once I, I got overseas into Spain my first year, once I got my foot in the door in Spain, I knew then that I was more fortunate enough to be there, and I knew that's where I wanted to stay pretty much my whole career. Mm-hmm. Once I got my foot in, in the door in Spain. I didn't know it at the time, but now, I mean, if you talk to anybody who knows anything about international basketball – the Spain league as a whole is the best place you want to play. Is that, Outside the NBA, everybody wants to play in Spain. Everybody. All the Americans want to get to Spain. Right. That's the Spanish yeah. ACB? Yes, sir. It's called the Liga Endesa now, but it was back. it's still referred to as the ACB. Yeah. Second it. best league in the world? Pretty much outside the NBA, it's the best league in the world. Best country. Okay. Best league. Best country to play in in the mm-hmm. world. Yep. And uh, all right. So you've had a long career of uh, overseas basketball, what are the best stories you have? Oh, God, Chris, no. You, <laughs> hey, Chris, you're not getting the, me to talk about my stories. What are the best all, stories all, you have? Dumb. What are the best stories you have that you can tell? Listen, I mean, oh God, Chris, I, the best stories, listen, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to tell you one specific, tor- one specific story, but I will tell you with some life lessons that I've learned. Okay. Listen, for being over there for so long, you know, I'm, I'm still married to the same woman I, I, I met when 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I have two beautiful kids who now, as I'm getting to the end of my career, uh, my wife and I were just talking about how fortunate we were that we raised our kids in Europe. I mean, you have, my son mm-hmm. is 10, my daughter is 7. They spent their whole career with us over in Europe, which is pretty, pretty cool con- considering now, you know, I'm at, I'm at the very tail end of my career. I understand that. And looking back where we played, living in France, living in Athens, living in Spain, Italy, um, playing in Moscow, playing over 20 different countries in Europe with my family by my side, that's the best story, Chris, I can tell anybody. Sure, I can tell you the stories about you know going out at nighttime and, 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 and drinking until 5, 6, 7 in the morning with guys and, 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 and practicing and being involved with teammates who would – who would fight in practices. But okay, those are all stories that everybody's heard of. More so things that I, I'm, I'm more, most proud of and things that I try to um, share my experiences with my athletes who I train these days are, are how to have a, have a good career in Europe. Being, mm-hmm. being Chris an American, you got to remember, I'm an American over there. Yeah. I spent all my years in Europe as an American, which is not easy to do. Most guys now go over to Europe as an American and play five, six, seven years and they're done. I mean, I'm playing 19 years professionally right now. So I try to give them those kind of experiences, Chris. So. All right. So off the court, you're part of this training facility in Pennsylvania. What can you yeah. tell us about that? Okay. So I built this. This was my end game, so, so to say, my retirement plan. I built this gym four years ago. And what I wanted to do is I had this idea of I wanted to give the kids in my area the same kind of opportunities that I didn't have growing mm. up. And I knew from all my contacts in, in, in Europe and all over the world that I'm like, okay, maybe I can do something to help these younger kids who went from small, you know, small division three schools, okay, small high schools to get to college, college to a pro career. That's what was my first idea when I built this facility. But now, obviously, being open in business and being a business, you know, business owner, it's kind of spiraled into other, other, other avenues, you know, by working with a bunch of pros, working with kids who are as young is eight years old who come to me because, you know, I, I'm big on, like we talked about earlier, is on the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. I mean, the kid, the younger kids who come to me, all we do is all fundamental work, all fundamental work. 
you know, sure. and then when they still come back in, in high school and college and pros career, we still, I, I still touch on those exact same principles as I was, as I was growing up. But the idea right now is to help my high school kids get to college, college kids get to, get to better, get to Europe and my pros who I work with now, I try to get them also kind of helping them move up in the ladder in European basketball. For example, maybe some guy will come to me who plays second division Romania. Okay, which is great. He's getting paid mm-hmm. to play basketball. Maybe making ten grand a year. I don't know, but I'm going to try to help him through my contacts. Being you know being in contacts for so long and being I'm still represented by the biggest agent in Europe, which is pretty cool. Definitely. And we help them to try to have a have a long career like me, Chris. To be honest with you, I'm trying to help these kids have a, have a, have a career uh, in basketball. Get paid to play basketball like I did. That's what well, I'm trying to help them do. Let's give a plug to the facility. What's the name? Where is it located? How can people find you? Yeah, I appreciate that. You can find me. Well, first of all, the name of the business is Panko Performance. Uh, it's located in Anvil, PA. And if anybody wants more information about it, they can just go to my website, www.pankoperformance.com. And it gives my whole history, a little bit of story about me and some of the things that we offer in the facility. And we have, we do boys and girls. We do athletes of all ages. Like I said, we have a young kid as, as young as eight years old. And then we have pros who come to us from all over, all over Europe, not just Americans. We have guys who come to us from European countries, come and work out with us in the summer. And we try to help them get better, reach their goals. So last question I have for you is what's next for Andy Panko? What's next? That's a good question. What's next is, uh, <laughs> well, I'm still playing. I still have some contract uh, options on the table, which is nice. You know, at my age, I'm, I'm turning 40 here in November. Mm-hmm. And pretty much at my age, I can pretty much pick and choose what contracts I want to I, I wanna accept and what I don't want to accept. Um, obviously, the big thing right now is I'm, as I'm getting older is my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love for my kids and my, my wife to come with me as towards the end of my career. But um, I, I still have some time to, to figure out what I'm going to do. Uh, I could go back and play with my same team where I played last year in Mexico, or I could take a couple offers to go back overseas. Right now, it's not about me anymore. I have to think about my kids. Obviously, it's my, my wife is ready to start her career, too. My kids are older, Chris, so that, may, that puts a, a kink into some things. But mm-hmm. I, just, I, I know it's coming to an end. You know, I'm still healthy. I still love basketball. But uh, I'm going to try to go as long as I can, as long as I still enjoy it, as, as long as I still love competing. And that's the biggest thing, too. Chris, as you get older, once you lose that competitiveness, that's when I know it's time to retire. But I still love, you know, whipping these 21-year-olds out of college. You know, I still love doing that. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so that's, that's what's in the plans for, for right now. All right. Well, this was the special edition of the Underdog Podcast. I'm Chris Fordell. Andy Panko, thanks so much for coming on. I've enjoyed talking to you for the last 45 minutes. Yep. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.